Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes scientist, philosopher, futurist, and two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, Irvin Laszlo. The two of them will be discussing his latest book, Reconnecting to the Source. So tune in as they discuss the power of spiritual experiences and the scientific reality behind them. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And welcome everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. Um, you can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Uh, you can find out more about me through my website, which is goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. Um, Benny, how are you doing today? I'm uh, doing pretty good. I uh, hope you got your mask ready because now it's a full attentive uh, procedure here around in the Seattle area. We're going to be wearing it. So I'm, oh, yeah. I don't know if you heard that, uh, but yeah. I did not. No, we've been doing that in the Bay Area for a little while now. So well, it's, just always... it's pretty much now the governor has said you've got to wear it no matter what. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, there we go. So yeah. uh, right now I took it off, so don't tell anybody, okay? So <laughs> before I was going to talk behind this right now, before we do that, and then I, you know, we can do it that way. Yes. Oh, <laughs> well, glad to hear you're doing well, Yeah, baby. we are. And, uh, oh, by the way, I know we bring up your little your little cat, Jackson Jackson. Oh, yes. He's just taking it one for the team the other day in the recent <laughs> photo. So, you know, he's a good little boy there. <laughs> I know. I know. He makes for a very natural little photo subject. I think a little so. too natural. <laughs> uh-huh. He knows the camera. He knows just how to turn it all on. <laughs> yes, Mom. Yes, I know. I get it, Mom. I get it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, good to hear your voice and be with you on the air, Benny. Yeah, yours as well. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to mention one quick little housekeeping measure before we bring on our guests today. Um, so Soul Digger Book Club will be picking up again in July. Um, we are now kind of things since things are opening up a little bit more these days um, and some schedules are returning to a little bit more normal. Um, I am moving book club to Tuesday evenings. Um, and so it will run um, on Tuesday evenings in July. Uh, starting on July 7th, going through July 28th. And our book this time around is going to be Me and White Supremacy by Layla Saad. Um, It has come highly recommended as a really useful tool for uh, discussion around combating racism, which I think is um, something that I am committed to learning about um, and learning more about. Uh, And I'm in that process, as I've mentioned, of knowing better to do better. And so um, listening a lot and learning a lot and being curious. And I think this book will be a good um, a good resource for walking through this learning together. Um, Liz Gilbert said that Layla, the author, is one of the most important and valuable teachers we have on the subject of white supremacy and racial justice. So um, I'm really excited to dive into this book. And if you would like to join me, you can go to goldenoversoul.com. And under the events page, you'll find the Soul Digger Book Club. And there you can register and find out more. Um, yeah, so we can all know better to do better together. 
Um, so in terms of our guest today, I'm really excited. Um, it's Irvin Laszlo. I'm sure many of you are familiar with his work. I'm actually going to read his more lengthy bio just because his background is so fascinating and he has such a highly decorated career, a prolific writer. Um, and so many things that I think are worth mentioning. Um, so Irvin Laszlo spent his childhood in Budapest. He was a celebrated child prodigy with public appearances from the age of nine. Receiving a grand prize at the International Music Competition in Geneva, he was allowed to cross the Iron Curtain and begin an international concert career, first in Europe and then in America. At the initiative of Senator Claude Pepper of Florida, he was awarded U.S. citizenship prior to his 21st birthday by an act of Congress. He received the Sorbonne's highest degree in 1970, and then shifting to the life of a scientist and humanist, he lectured and taught at various U.S. universities, including Yale, Princeton, Northwestern, University of Houston, and the State University of New York. Following his work on modeling the future evolution of world order at Princeton, he was asked to produce a report for the Club of Rome, of which he was a member. And in the late 1970s and early 1980s, Laszlo ran global projects at the United Nations Institute for Training and Research. And in the 1990s, his research led him to the discovery of the Akashic Field, which he has continued to study and expound upon ever since. The author, co-author, or editor of more than 100 books that have appeared in 24 languages, Irvin Laszlo also published several hundred papers and articles in scientific journals and popular magazines. Gaia TV produced a special series on his life, and a one-hour special for PBS television is in the works under the title, The Work and Inspiration of a Modern-Day Genius. He is a member of numerous scientific bodies and the recipient of various honors and awards, including honorary PhDs from around the world. He's been awarded the Goy Peace Prize of Japan in 2001, the Assisi Mandir Peace Prize in 2006, the Polyhistor Prize of Hungary in 2015, the Luxembourg Peace Prize in 2017, and then, of course, as we mentioned in the intro, he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in both 2004 and again in 2005. He is the founder and president of the Club of Budapest and founder and director of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research. The book we're going to be discussing here today, which just came out here in March 2020, is called Reconnecting to the Source, the New Science of Spiritual Experience, How It Can Change You and How It Can Transform the World. The website to go to to find out more about Dr. Laszlo is irvinlaszlo.com. That's irvinlaszlo.com. And that last name is spelled L-A-S. Z-L-O. Um, Dr. Laszlo, welcome to the program. Okay, Sunny. Good to be with you. Yes. Are, and you're coming to us from Italy, correct? Yes. I sit here on a hilltop in Tuscany. Oh, in beautiful. Very beautiful surroundings, not far from the sea. Yes. Well, I'm curious, Dr. Laszlo, you know, how did you go from an international concert career at such a young age to becoming a scientist and a humanist? Well, it came like that. I think it's probably curiosity. I mean, I, I started uh, life heavily charged by my, by my forebears. Four my mother was a concert pianist and teacher, and my uncle, her brother, was a philosopher. And so in the mornings, I practiced for a while with my mother at the piano, and then I had went walks with my uncle, was talking to me about the subject that he I didn't understand much of that, but anyway, it left an impression on me. And when I got a little bit older, I started looking into those questions that were that he raised that were in my mind. 
And, and as I was playing the piano uh, on concerts, traveling in various places in Europe and in the US and also in the East, uh, I, I started looking into those things, reading, and whenever I could, I attended classes at Columbia University, the New School for Social Research, and, and, and Munich University, and so on. And I, I, it's a one-way street. When you start thinking about those things, you can't turn back. And then I had experiences in my life that we can talk about later it's, that really led me to think that there is more to this experience, more to this consciousness or to a mind that just appears and that perhaps I should, I should look into what there really is underneath it all. Who are we really? And that's a big question that nowadays is more and more people are raising that. And it was raised for me already in my late 20s. And I started writing a book that I saw just for myself. I didn't know it was a book, actually. I just started taking notes until, until at one point on a concert trip. Uh, after the concert, I uh, felt particularly good because I thought it was successful. Somebody came to me in the reception and said, I hear that I, I understand that you are also thinking about more serious things. What is that? And I said, well, never mind, uh, but I can show you my notes. Mm -hmm. And I went and got him my notes, and he disappeared uh, until next morning. I was worried about it. I didn't have any, any copies at those days, you know, where we didn't have so much easier making Xerox copies. And so uh, next morning, he, he appeared again and says, well, I can publish it. And I said, who are you? Turned out to be he was a, pub he was a science or philosophy editor of a famous international publishing house in Holland, Holland at the time. Wow. So that's how I got started. And, and, and then this book got published and I got invited to Yale University. It was in a whole series of events which gradually led, led me to the point where I had to decide what do I do, this or that. There's one life, one day, uh, 24 hours, it's not enough to do both. So as this invitation came at the moment, in, when, uh, when I was very sensitive to thinking about these issues and it just came, and I said, well, it's propitious, let me try. And I said, I sent back a telegram and in, in those days, so we communicated and to the chairman of the philosophy department. I said, okay, I accept your invitation. I came, then I was launched on the career of an academic and music became a hobby. Whereas before music was my career and philosophy was and science was a hobby. Mm. Yeah, well, it seems like you uh, definitely made the right choice there with how prolific your work has been. Um, yeah, and I'm curious, you've been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize twice. Um, what work led to those nominations? Well, the, the general, my thrust of my book, you see, the, there is no specific prize in uh, for the Nobel for philosophy or for advanced thinking. It would be just for science in general. Mm -hmm. But there is cosmology and physical science, and my work has really led to an idea, a more clearer conception of what nature is like, the universe is like, but most of all, to the connection between the natural order and the order or disorder that we find in the human life. I've always maintained that what we do here with our mind, with our, with our bodies, with our, our surroundings, is not independent from, but actually is a reflection of, reflection of a higher order, an order that is in nature, that is in the universe. And I developed these ideas. And these, of course, are very relevant 
because they allow you to see yourself as being part of the world, not in conflict with the world, but cooperating with the world. So it's fundamental for peace. So this nomination then came for the prize in peace, for the Nobel Peace Prize, because it was felt relevant for that. I think it is relevant to that, even though I'm not a, a, actually a peace advocate or a peace maker as a professionally, I'm a philosopher who, who developed these ideas, which I think are highly relevant to finding our way and living peacefully with each other, because that's the natural order, and we have departed from it. It's high time to get back. Yes. Yes. And, and you also, um, one of the titles that I have seen for you is a futurist. And I'm curious, I, I heard a, um, a uh, I guess, a teacher of sociology saying not too long ago that that things are changing so rapidly and to such a great degree that it is hard to predict what is now going to happen in the way that maybe we once were able to do. And I'm curious about your thoughts on that, about how uh, how it is to be a futurist in these current times in which we're living. Well, I, I'm ambig ambivalent about the term futurist. I'm a pleasantist. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think the future is not to be forecast. I think it's impossible to forecast. Now, too many uncertainties, too many decision points, tipping points, as you might like, you might say. But uh, the present today harbors the opportunity to choose our future. And that's the big thing. That's the most important thing. Because now, in this, in the wake of this pandemic, we, we know that the past is not the best thing that we have had. And we have an opportunity to move something, because many of the past structures are economically and socially and even culturally are crumbling. And we, we have a freedom and in actually in a way, because crisis is always an opportunity and it's also a freedom from the past to create something else in its place. So my point is the future is not to be forecast, but to be created, to be made. It's up to us to create it. That's the great opportunity today. The little pamphlet that I published on the internet not long ago, which has picked up in so many places, it's, it's called uh, The Global Shift, The Opportunity. You know, because that's the key aspect of it. We have an opportunity, a historical opportunity, which very seldom comes, and perhaps in, histor in recent history it didn't come. It's the first time to be able to take our, in our, our own future into our hand. So that's a unique, that's a wonderful thing. And I'm dedicated to trying to spell out the possibilities what kind of world could we build? Not that we will build, because nobody knows what we will build, but what kind of world could we build realistically and seriously? Because we have a choice, and that's where we are today. That's a unique turning point in history. Yes, and I wanted to ask you about that. You mentioned the pandemic just a moment ago, and I think you know when you, you wrote this book, of course it was timely when you wrote it, but did you have any idea like its release was timed right in the middle of the pandemic. And of course, we've got, uh, particularly in the United States, a, a reckoning around racial justice, and we've got some economic things happening. And I just, I'm curious if you'd like to say anything else about what is happening at this very moment and how timely this book is um, in its release. Well, I didn't know it when I wrote it, obviously, because <clears throat> at least six months before we have to close off a book, the manuscript, then it goes into production, 
-hmm. And so it takes a while before it hits the bookstands. <clears throat> I didn't know it at the time. But I knew that our world is unstable, that a crisis could come any moment. Nobody knew that it's going to be a virus that causes the crisis. It could have been the, the, uh, the, the, the social problems, the uh, escapees, the, the refugee problems, could have been the climate change. All of those things are still with us, of course, all of those possibilities and problems. It could have been any aspect of the ecological problem. But this is something unexpected. But the trigger, even though it's unexpected, the trigger is not unexpected. It's a trigger if you have a, a fundamentally unstable social, economic, and political system in the world, full of crisis, full of tipping points, and something is giving it a kick, and therefore the system is now changing. The old system is crumbling, and the new one is yet to be defined. So I didn't know it. I've been writing at least since the year 2000, and even before, on what is known in, in science as a bifurcation. You know, a bifurcation is a change, is a forking off in the trajectory of a system as it evolves from one point to the next. So this technical term actually applies to the, to the world today because we are, we are not going along the same trajectory as we have been in the past. We are now moving on to something else. It's up to us to which way we move and how, how we go forward. But it's certainly we are living in a bifurcation. I'll be saying that it's coming. And now it has come. And so it's very exciting for everybody as for me, because I see not only the danger, I see the opportunity. And the opportunity is far bigger and more important than any danger. Danger, it's, the perception is danger, of danger is dangerous. You know, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, said Franklin Roosevelt. And then Kennedy picked it up and others as well. And that's true. Fear is a very fearsome thing. We have to look at the positive side. We have to look at the possibilities because they are there. They are real. We don't need to fear anything other than being paralyzed by fear. Yes. Yes. And I think that this book particularly, um, and of course, we're talking here today about reconnecting to the source, uh, the new science of spiritual experience, how it can change you and how it can transform the world. And so the in this book, there is the argument that these spiritual experiences that we are wired for, that people have, will potentially be our collective salvation. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the idea for this book, how this came about? Well, I've had these experiences of intuitive experiences while I was a musician. And they stayed with me as I was doing research in science. So I knew that there is something more. And I thought this something more, maybe it, we can somehow realize it, we can come across it, how articulate it somehow. And when you have an experience in music, it's sort of a transforming experience. You really get carried away with music. It doesn't have to be classical music. It can be pop music. It can be an, an, a folklore. It can be whatever. But it's an experience that pulls you out of your ordinary world or the ordinary worldview, the ordinary concept of who you are. So I thought maybe if we enter into the, some of these states provoked by or catalyzed by, by art, by, by music, by spirituality, uh, by nature, so many ways this can be catalyzed. 
maybe there is something coming forth which is a guiding light. Maybe there is something that we can recognize. Because in my work as a scientist, you know, I've come across this idea that pure chance, pure random interaction cannot make the universe in which, which, in which we live. There's more to it. There is some guiding principles. The religions were articulated as a god or a, or a divinity or, or a spirit. Uh, but in science, we don't talk about it in those terms. But there is something, a guidance that is occurring. You can call it an attractor, as said in the system science. So there's something pulling the system in a given direction. So there is that. If there is that in the universe, and we are part of the universe, surely it appears somehow in our consciousness. Mm -hmm. So I said, if it appears, it will be in the so-called altered states of consciousness, deeper states of consciousness. So I ask people, people that I knew who are trusted as eminent people, as sincere, honest people, high integrity individuals, did you have unusual transformative experiences in your life? Did what you become somehow, uh, was it moved, was it, was it triggered by an experience that you have had? To my surprise, the people that I asked, practically without exception, said, yes, indeed, there was such an experience, maybe several experiences. I said, would you be willing to describe it? And they said, yes. And so they really recorded these things and then we wrote it down. And very interesting because these experiences, they come from business people, they come from scientists, they come from artists, they come from all, all walks of life. And they are all end up by the same thing, which seems to be trite, but very, very profound, actually. They all come up with this sense that we are part of something deeper, something greater than we are. We, are, we belong to something greater, and that something is in us. It surrounds us, it embraces us, and we are one with this something. And that, connect, and that connection is ultimately expressed as our feeling of love for that world, for the world around us, for all things in it. You know, Einstein said at one time, there's only, there are only two ways to live your life, either as if nothing is a miracle or as if everything is. Mm. So in this new sense, in this deeper experience, everything is a miracle. Mm. And everything is wonderful, wondrous. You know? yeah. And this is what people describe. And they end up, no matter how differently they start, how different the trigger was, whether they were scientists or artists or business leaders or whatever, they end up with the same notion. Yes, I belong to a wonderful world and I, I can feel a deep, unconditional love toward the world around me. And that is the lesson I think that we take. We have that in us. If we can only bring that forward, you know, then we could create a better world. Then we have a chance. And that trigger in that experience in us, it makes us self-transformative. We transform ourselves. And just as you know, Gandhi said, be the world that you want to see. We can then become the world because we can create the transformation in us. The yes. same kind of transformation that you need in the world. Yes, and, and so what Dr. Laszlo is referring to, I've got the book in front of me here, and there is a section of the book called Bouquets, or the uh, Bouquet of Spiritual Experiences. 
And there are numerous contributors here. Um, a lot of the names you may recognize, Jane Goodall, Jean Houston, Barbara Marks Hubbard, uh, Lynn McTaggart, James O'Day, Dean Radin, Gary Schwartz, and then a, a host of others. Really interesting. Um, each of their own mystical or spiritual experiences uh, are documented here, or the ones that were particularly meaningful and how they shaped who these people became, how they viewed themselves and their place in the world. Um, so I'd love to dive into that a little bit deeper, but we are at the time for our break. Um, so let's go ahead and do that now, and we can dive back in in just a few minutes. You're listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. I am joined today by Dr. Irvin Laszlo. We're discussing uh, his most recent book, Reconnecting to the Source. Uh, just came out in March, and it's all about the science of spiritual experiences, how it can change us, and how it can transform our world. We will be back in just a few. Hey, Sunny and Seattle friends. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that the greatest gifts and synchronicities of my life happened when I started listening to the voice of my soul and let it take the lead. But in a crazy culture and a chaotic world, it can often be difficult to hear that soul voice, and we forget just how powerful that spiritual being inside you really is. Which is why I created Soul Digger, a membership community for women and those who identify as women who want to live a soul-driven life. We meet virtually to learn, connect, share, grow, and inspire one another on our spiritual journey. Find out more at my website, goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. And click on the tab that says, Work With Me. So come get shamelessly spiritual with us in the Soul Digger community, where we mine the true gold that comes from your soul. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, joined today by Dr. Irvin Laszlo, uh, talking about his latest book, Reconnecting to the Source. Um, so Dr. Laszlo, I know we've got just a few more minutes with you um, here today, so I, I wanna make sure that we cover the high points from the book. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious, when you say um, reconnecting to the source, how did we lose our connection and why do we need it again? Okay, that's the big question. How did we lose our connection? You know, traditional people lived in the embrace of nature. Even today, indigenous people say all this. Nature is something that we don't own. It's just that in which we live, which is our mother. Nature, which today in the context of science is not just the biological nature, it's living nature. It's actually the universe around us. Universe is not just a passive physical background. It's something living and dynamic evolving. And we have, in the course of time, I think if you were asked, if you asked me, I would, I would say, because of our fascination with, fascination with technology, with being making things and making things powerful and fast and giving us power and giving us money, and with all the search for all these sort of things, we've forgotten that there is a deeper logic underlying it. That's who we really are. We are not just money hunger, power hunger, hungry individuals. We are really part of nature, part of the universe. And what we can learn from nature is that cooperation is the uppermost in all levels of life and existence. It's there in the physical world, in the biological world, in the social world. We have forgotten it. We have substituted short-term projects, our own interest in the short term. We still keep saying us first, our country or whatever, 
first, which is what the German Nazis did. It also said Germany over everything, and then they see what happened. Mm -hmm. So we have, in a way, forgotten our natural heritage, our being, who we are. And now I think, with, especially with these quantum sciences, the new sciences, we know and recognize that we are homelessly, seamlessly whole individuals. We belong to a seamlessly whole world. There are no absolute categorical separations. There's no such thing as simple bits and pieces of matter moving around randomly in space and time. When the great uh, German physicist Max Planck, you know, the founder of the at atomic theory, has said, after 40 years of studying the nature of matter, he said in his last lecture, which was in Florence in Italy, he said, I can tell you this much. There is no matter as such in the world. And that's very strange for somebody who's studying matter, the atoms, you know, and, and founding the whole, the, the, the basic theory on that. But it's not matter. It's energy. It's information. It's, it's waves, their vibrations, their clusters of vibrations. And that's what we are. We are basically clusters of vibration acting together, making things. It's what is music after this vibration of the air, vibration of tones, and it creates music. The same way we create what appears to be a physical universe. We create it by, by organizing these subtle vibrations which the universe is that. The universe is a sea of vibration. I call it the Akashic field, because in an Akashic field, everything is connected with everything else, and everything is conserved. And the universe in the quantum sciences turns out to be a, an Akashic field in that sense. Mm. So you see, I really feel that this new recognition, dawning, emerging recognition of who we really are, is the key to finding our way forward in this uh, transforming world, transforming us, transforming the world around us. It's a very exciting time to be living, very exciting time to contribute at least to a few ideas, to a few guidelines, guideposts as to how we can move forward. I think we can, and we perhaps are doing it, but let's use the time, critical times today, if it's in the next year or two, the, the direction in which we are heading will be decided. We can still decide it. So let's use our best. I'm trying to do my best to give, to provide some pointers, not from a personal intuition, so that could be interesting too. I'm trying to distill it from what the cutting edge of sciences, of the quantum sciences are telling us about the world. We are part of that world. We are not little separate bits and pieces of matter hanging around. We are part of a dynamic living universe. That's a great, great difference. Not from the modern dominant view of the world, not from the ancient view, because traditionally the traditional sciences, the wisdom traditions knew all this. Now we know it on the basis of experiment. So it's a great confirmation. But now we need it, so let's use it. Yes, and this book, Reconnecting to the Source, does such a beautiful job um, about sharing what these spiritual experiences can be like um, through uh, sharing the stories of many contributors here. Um, and through these spiritual experiences, reconnecting to the source, through these experiences, 
letting them change us, letting them change the world. Um, Dr. Laszlo, thank you so much for having joined us here today. Uh, is there any final message you'd like to leave our listeners with before we let you go? Well, what I've been saying, let me just say it once more. We live in exciting times and live in a wonderful opportunity time, a time when we can create our own future. It's a wonderful thing to, to have. So let's look at that positive, constructive side. Crisis is always a prelude to change. Let's make it a good change, a positive change. Thanks for bringing forward uh, this idea of, uh, of the, which is the basis of the book, which I wrote before this pandemic burst on us, but it's becoming really relevant today more than ever. So thank you for discussing it, and I look forward to hearing comments and from from your listeners, from readers. I'd like to carry this dialogue forward. I'm doing my best in further publications on the internet and films and so on. Thank you again for the show. Yes, thank you. And we were joined today by Dr. Irvin Laszlo. You can find out more by going to irvinlaszlo.com. And the book, of course, was Reconnecting to the Source, The New Science of Spiritual Experience, How It Can Change You and How It Can Transform the World. And we uh, we are letting Dr. Laszlo go since he is in Italy and it is very late in the evening there and he had a long day. So um, we very much appreciate the opportunity to have spoken with him. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.